0: If you have your Bibles with you, open them to the Gospel of Luke chapter 24, Luke chapter 24. We'll begin reading with verse 13, the Gospel of Luke chapter 24. One of them, named Cleopas, asked him, Are you only a visitor to Jerusalem and do not know the things that have happened there in these days? What things, he asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death and they crucified him. He said to them, how foolish you are and how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Christ have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. And they approached the village to which they were going. Jesus acted as if he were going farther, but they urged him strongly, Stay with us, for it is nearly evening. The day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at table with them, he took bread, he gave thanks, he broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while, we talked, while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? A few years ago, not long after we moved to Palmetto, I had an experience here that was so unusual and so extraordinary that I wanted to share it with you today. I had come to the church on a Saturday morning. It was about 9 o'clock. I don't normally come to the church on Saturday morning. But there were some things that I had not gotten completed and I knew that I could come on Saturday and usually no one else was here. It was really quiet, even spookily quiet at times if you've ever spent any time in this building by yourself. But I knew I could get some things done that I would not otherwise be able to get done. And so I came out of the church and I went into my office and to do some reading and some studying. About an hour after I had gotten into the office, I heard a door shut somewhere in the building. The sound appeared from where I was in my office to have come from the sanctuary, but I I couldn't be sure. I didn't get up to check to see if anyone was here. I waited to see if someone would peek their head into my office. No one did, and I just assumed that maybe... Our custodian had dropped by to do some last-minute cleanup. He does that on Saturday quite a bit for us. Or if not him, maybe uh, Chris or someone had come in to set up uh, some last-minute equipment for the worship on that next day. So I didn't bother to get up and check on it. I stayed in my office reading and studying. Sometime shortly after 11.30... I got up to go to the restroom down the Sunday school hall and also to get a drink of water from the fountain and then made my way back to my office by way of the sanctuary. I came through the Florida room here to my left and into the sanctuary here and as I came into the sanctuary I was surprised to see that there was a man seated right here on the front pew. I'd never seen him before. He looked to be, I'm not a good guesser of age, but he looked to be in his early to mid-30s maybe. He had a gray sweatshirt with a hoodie. He had faded Levi's. He wore no socks. And he had on a pair of old worn out hush puppy shoes, for those of you who remember hush puppy shoes. I was already too far into the sanctuary, and he'd already seen me. If he hadn't seen me, I would have silently backed out and hidden from him. His hair, though clean, was shoulder-length, and he had a full beard. The moment I saw him, and he had, he had really dark eyes, and I thought, if this guy were to knock on my door for a date with my daughter, I would not be doing backflips over this. So since he had already seen me, I walked up to him and I stuck out my hand. and I said, I said uh, uh, how you doing? I said, I'm the, and before I got this full sentence out, he says, I know you're the new pastor here in Palmetto. I know you. I said, well, I don't know you. How, how do you know me? He says, before you ever left your house down at the pastorium this morning, you paused under that water oak and he said, I saw you then. Well, that kind of creeped me out. Uh, I didn't realize that I had somebody who was uh, watching me, perhaps stalking me, and here he was right here in the sanctuary. I didn't know how he got in. Um, And so I said, well, what can I do for you? I mean, is there something I can do for you? What can I do for you? And he says, well, I'm interested in you, and I'm interested in this church and I'm interested in this community well I didn't really want to sit beside him and so I sat right here at the edge of the stage and I faced him and I got to thinking about did I really want to tell this guy about me and about our church did I really want to talk with him and the answer I didn't tell him this was uh, no But I decided that before I would tell him some things about us, I would ask him some things about him. And so I said to him, I said, tell me about your family and tell me where you're from. And he looked at me and he says, my kingdom is not of this world. And he said, those who do the will of God are my mother and sisters and brothers. Well, I thought that was a bit prideful. It turned me off. And immediately I thought, the sooner that I can get rid of this guy, the better off he and I are going to be. And so I said, well, I said, that's all nice and all. But I said, you know, as I was coming through here, uh, I I was on my way to lock up everything and and go to lunch. So I wish I could stay here and, and talk with you some more. And he interrupted me and he says, I'd love to go eat lunch with you. And he stood up, walked out the door and headed out the door to my car. And I reached in my pocket, and I looked in my wallet. I had a $10 bill on me. And so I went out the door, locked it, and went to my car, and we drove to Dairy Queen. Pulled the car up to the side uh, parking spot right there at the door of Dairy Queen, and I said, uh, I said, have you had lunch yet? And he said, I have meat to eat that you don't even know about. I said, well, I'm going to get a cheeseburger, and uh, if you want to get a cheeseburger, I'll be glad to get you a cheeseburger, so let's get out and go in, and I got out of the car, and I started into the Dairy Queen, and he stayed in my car, now this is weird, so I go into the Dairy Queen, and I'm standing at the counter, and I'm ordering my cheeseburger, And all the while, I'm looking out the door because I parked right outside that glass door at Dairy Queen. You know that you've been there. And, And I kept watching what this guy was doing, trying to figure out what he was doing in my car. And about halfway through my order, I remembered that I had left my cell phone and my car keys in that car. I was a flustered guy. And so I rushed through ordering my cheeseburger and decided to take it out with me to the car and eat in the car. And I, I, I got in the driver's seat of the car and, and was trying to unravel the cheeseburger, not doing a good job of it. And finally, I took a bite of the cheeseburger, and he looked at me, and he says, you, you do know, don't you, that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Now, how would you like for somebody to be saying that while you're eating a cheeseburger at the Dairy Queen? I said, you know, I said, I wish I had time to spend with you more. That was a lie. I've had to ask forgiveness for that. I said, I wish I had time to spend with you more, but I need need to get home to my family. He says, I'd like to meet your family. Well, you know... uh, I knew better than to take him there. I don't know why I took him there. I'm not a good quick thinker. The folks who know me best know that I have to digest things for about 40 days and 40 nights. And so I'm not good on my feet thinking. And so against every better judgment that I could have had, we drove down to my house. At that time, we were still living in the pastorium that the church provided for us. We were renting it from the church less than a quarter of a mile down the hill here. Zach was... In the 10th grade, he was still at home. Hillary was in the 7th grade, middle school, and, and, and the kids and Amanda were at home while I had gone off to the church. And, and here we go pulling right into the pastorium. We got out, and, and uh, I was showing him the outside of the pastorium. I said, the church has had this for I don't know how many years. I think the house was built sometime in the 60s. I said, it's really nice for us. And he he looked at the front of the house, and he said, you know, Foxes have holes, and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Well, I was thinking he was trying to hint that he wanted to stay the night, and that was not going to happen. Number one, it wasn't going to happen with me. Number two, my wife would shoot me dead if I had let him stay. So he went in the house through the carport door and and those of you who remember the pastorium, when you go through the carport door, you go immediately into the kitchen of the pastorium. And Amanda came walking from the living room, which was the next room over. She came into the kitchen, and I said, this is my wife Amanda. And, and Amanda shot me one of those looks because, you see, I had not called her in advance to tell her I was coming to let her know that I was bringing anybody by there. And she shot me one of those looks that a wife will shoot her husband on a Saturday. If you show up with somebody and she didn't know it, you know what I'm talking about? More of you know what I'm talking about <laughs> and what nodded. I said, this is my wife, Amanda. And he said, hello, Amanda. And she said, uh, and she looked at him and kind of hesitantly stuck out her hand. She said, hey, and then she looked at me and she said, I didn't know that we were bringing anybody home today. And he looked at her and immediately laughed. The man laughed. And he said, <laughs> he said, uh, Boynerges you are. I said, what? He said, energies He said, it's uh, another language. It means a child of thunder. <laughs> and then he took his hands and he cupped both sides of her face. I started to hit him. He cupped both sides of her face, and he says, I know you, Amanda. He said, you have been faithful in much. Blessed are the pure in spirit, for they shall see God. About that time, Zach and Hillary came from the other side of the house into the kitchen, and There was a little breakfast table there that we had in the corner of the kitchen, and Zach brought his guitar. We had just gotten him a guitar. He was just learning how to play guitar, and he he couldn't play that well, but he could strum a chord or two, And, and the man sat down at our breakfast table, and he motioned for Hillary to come sit on his lap. Now, she has never sat on anybody's lap. It's all I could do to get her to sit on her daddy's lap, and she immediately jumped on the man's lap, and she said, I want... Uh, Hillary, I want you to sit here, and Zach, I want you to come play, and I want you and Hillary to sing a song, and I'll help you. And they sat down. Listen, Zach will get up now, and he'll play in worship, but if we're like this afternoon, we're going to have our family together for Easter, I can't pay him enough to play for us. He just won't do it. And so I thought, he's not going to do that. I know Zach well enough. He's not going to do that. Well, lo and behold, he pulls out a chair and he starts strumming the only two chords he knows, and he and Hillary start singing, and I'm sitting there thinking, what in the world? They finished one song, and then they started another song, and I was looking at my watch, and Amanda was looking at me, and I finally said, I "said listen, Zach, Hillary, that, that's, that's enough singing and playing, and and, uh, uh, you know, we, we, need, we need to get up and y'all need to go about uh, to your rooms doing your chores that your mom already had you to do. And the man looked at me and he said, I tell you that if they stop playing, the stones will cry out. It took me back. Zach and Hillary just sat there motionless for what seemed to be an eternity, even though it was probably just 30 seconds. And finally in the um, discomfort of it all, they got up and they went back to the room and the man looked at me and he says, listen, uh, do you have some time? I'd like to ride through the community. Can you ride me through the community? I said, well, I I really don't have time. But I said, even if I did have time, my gas tank is totally empty. I was running on fumes going from Dairy Queen with you back to here. And Amanda popped up and she says, well, my Mustang's full of gas. You can take it. I tried to wave her off, but it was like she did it for revenge or something. <laughs> you can take my car, my Mustang, it was full. And he looked at me, and I said, all right, we'll go. So we went down, we got in Amanda's Mustang, it was full. Her car stays full and programmed to go to the Walmart. <laughs> so we got in the car, we pulled out from the pastorium, and we headed down uh, Menifee Street and down... Waterworks Road, and we went by the children's home, and he wanted me to pull in the children's home. And so I took him on a little drive tour of the children's home. We, we pulled in front of the Willet Cottage, and he said, I want you to stop right here. And, and he got out of the car, and I got out of the car, and there was a little girl whom I had never seen before who came running across the yard. And, and leaped into his arms and gave him a hug. And right before she leaped, I went, I went to stop her because he didn't know her and she didn't know him. And I know she was just wanting to hug somebody. And, and, and so I went to stop her and he, and he pointed his finger at me for me to stop. And he said, let the little children come to me. And don't you forbid them. And he took her up in his arms and he kissed her and she kissed him on the cheek and they had a little powwow conversation there. And then he let her, let her go and she went running back across the yard and he turned and looked at me and he said, And Jimmy Orr, unless you humble yourself as one of these little children, you won't even see the kingdom of heaven. And it dawned on me right then that I had not told him my name. We got back in the car, and we headed down toward Noonan. We passed by Arbor Springs School and the Heritage School on the left, and I made mention of all the schools as we went down, and when I mentioned the Heritage School, he says, he says the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. I took him down a side street off of 29 and, uh, and back in the countryside near Highway 70 and we passed by several little country churches. And you could tell that they had been in the same building that they had been in forever and a day. And, and I, I just, he, he was kind of a quiet guy, and I'm kind of a quiet guy, believe it or not. And as we went down the road, it was getting kind of comf- uncomfortable, the silence that would, that would uh, pervade the conversation we had. And I said, you know, these little churches, I don't know how in the world they, they're surviving. I really don't. And he looked at me, and he said, he said, upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell itself shall not prevail against it. We passed by a church of God, a church of Christ, an assembly of God, and I mentioned something about so many denominations. Why couldn't there just be one church? So many denominations. And he said, he, said, he who is not against me is for me. So don't forbid them. He said, but if they're lukewarm, I'll spew them out of my mouth. We kept going on closer into Noonan, and we went up Hospital Road, and we passed uh, what is now Piedmont Noonan Hospital. At that time, it was just Noonan Hospital. And I said, this is the hospital where several of our people go for medical attention. He said, I know. You visited me there. And I looked at him kind of silly. I said... I said, I, I don't remember ever visiting you anywhere. And he said, Inasmuch as you've done it to one of the least of these, you've done it also to me. We passed the hospital and turned left to go back through Noonan. I took him by the old courthouse. And when I saw the old courthouse, the government building, I remembered something that I had forgotten, and that was I needed to pay my taxes. I was going to have to pay. Uh, a bunch in taxes that year, and I, I complained under my breath about it as we went by the courthouse. And he said, "He said, Jimmy, or you of all people ought to know to render unto Caesar the things that belong to Caesar, and render unto God the things that belong to God." We came out of the square in noon, and we were on thirty-four between noon and headed back toward the interstate. And we passed by one of the bank branches that I normally bank at. And I mentioned something about I really need to stop by the bank and and, uh, deposit a check. And he didn't even look over into the direction of where my bank was. He says, says, lay up not for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust, rust destroy and thieves break in and steal. But he said, lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroy and thieves can't break up and steal. He says, for where your heart is, there your treasure will be also. I took that to mean he didn't like the bank that I banked at. We kept driving on 34. I decided it might be best not to stop at the bank. And we went on uh, under the the interstate, under the overpass, and, and pulled into Walmart. I figured I'd show him Walmart. I couldn't believe anybody had never seen Walmart. And... It was a Saturday, and the parking lot was almost full, and people were going in, and people were coming out. Most of them had their Walmart bags, and I said, this is where a lot of folks, there's a Walmart here, and there's one up in Union City, and there's another one over in Peachtree City, and another one in Douglasville, and this is where a lot of our folks do some of their shopping. And, and he, he said to me, he said, uh, he said, a person's life does not consist in the abundance of the possessions that he has. And so rather than pull in the Walmart, I just pulled right on out thinking that he must be the only person on the planet who had something against Walmart. We got back out on the interstate and headed north, and I mentioned that sometimes here on the expressways around Atlanta, 75, 85, 285, 400, South Fulton Parkway, I said, sometimes the traffic gets so bad that, that it backs up for several miles. And he said, yes, he said, broad is the way and easy is the gate that leads to destruction, and there will be many who go in that way. But he said, narrow is the gate, and hard is the way that leads to life, and there will only be a few who find it. We went all the way up to the Union City exit, got off at Union City and 138 and headed back down toward uh, 154 and on our way to Fairburn, and we passed by a liquor store. And he said, what's this? I said, it's a liquor store. He said, pull in here. I said, I don't pull in the liquor store. He said, pull in the liquor store. I said, I'm not going in. He said, you don't have to. We pulled into the liquor store, and he got out. Now, I'm sitting there in the car. I'm not going in. The motor is still running. He gets up and goes in, and I'm thinking, what if this guy comes out with a bag of booze? Or what if I'm sitting here, my, the folks at my church, if they drive by here, they know what my car looks like. What if they see their pastor down at the liquor store? What am I going to do if one of my members comes out of the liquor store? (laughs) So I sat behind the wheel, my car motor's still running, and I'm watching him. He goes into the liquor store, and he stops at the cash register at the counter, and there are two men there, and he talks to them for several minutes, and I could tell that they were talking to him some, and he was talking to them some, and, and finally... I watched those two men, they had a brown paper sack with something in it, I don't know what, and they sat the brown paper sack down on the counter and they left it on the counter and the two of them walked out and he followed them out and they got in their car and he knelt beside their car, the window was down and I put my window down to hear what he was saying, he says, now remember, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. He turned around and got in my car and I said, said, what was that all about and why are we here? He said, "It's it's those who are sick who need a physician, not those who are well. I said, good gracious. We drove through Fairburn. We went past Holly Hill Cemetery. He wanted to pull in there. So we pulled in he wanted me to stop and we slowly walked through the cemetery, and we'd stop on occasion to look at some of the graves and some of the plaques at the uh, at, at the the plot, the grave plots that were there. And on one of the particular graves, he knelt down and just started boohooing. I mean, he didn't announce it; he didn't tell me whose whose grave this was. He just started boohooing, and and I thought, well, maybe maybe he's lost a family member recently. Maybe that's why he came to the church to begin with. And so I knelt down beside him and I put my arm around him and I said, I know what it's like to lose somebody. I said, on, the, on nine days before Christmas 2001, we lost Amanda's daddy to cancer. And I said, it hit her hard. It hit all of us hard. And every time I think about it, we have his pictures all over the house. And it's hard. It's hard. Even the grief still is, is sharp. He said, I know. I saw Amanda's daddy today. I said, what? He said, I saw Harold today. I said, man, he's dead. He said, he who believes in me will never die. I looked up at him and in between the tears he said this. He says, it is written. How beautiful are the feet of those who preach good tidings of great things. But not everybody has heard our report. And I thought that's a weird verse to to quote here in the cemetery. But I looked up and he was knelt down at the gravesite of Reverend Carl Mowell. We got back in the car and pulled out of Holly Hill and headed toward Palmetto. We came to the Welcome to Palmetto sign, the city limits. He told me to pull over again. We pulled over, he got out. I didn't get out with him, but I had my window down. He stood right at the sign looking toward town, and I could hear him in a, in a, a strong whisper. He says, Oh, Palmetto. Oh, Palmetta. how often I would have gathered you together like a mother hen gathers her chicks. And you would not. You would not. We got back in the car and we came here to the church and as we parked and got out, I'd made mention of the fact that on Sunday we were out of parking space and we needed more space. And he looked at me and he said, He said, keep telling your people, and you keep doing yourself. You keep going out into the highways and hedges and compelling people to come in, that my house will always be full. We came into the sanctuary, and I told him, I said, we're out of space. And I said, we're looking for land to expand. And I said, hoping to build. And he looked at me, and he said, except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain who build it. But he says, if you have faith as a grain of mustard seed, you can move this mountain from here to there, and I'll tell you, you can do it. And it comforted me. I remember how it comforted me. We walked down through the preschool area, and I showed him some drawings that some of our preschoolers had drawn, and he looked at it, and I, I, I complimented our workers, and he, he, he said this. He says, he says, anyone who gives one of these little ones so much as a, a cool drink of water in my name shall not lose her reward. And I made a note of that to mention it to our preschool workers. We went up into my office and he reached up on the bookcase and he pulled down a book and he started thumbing through it and finally landed on a page and he read some of the words on the page and he looked up and he said, study to show yourself approved unto God. And don't you forget to never stop rightly dividing the words of truth. He closed the book and sat it back down on my desk. And he knelt down on the corner of my desk and he started praying. I figured it was going to be a short prayer. Forty-five minutes, he was still praying. And finally, still knelt down, he looked up at me and he says, Could you not pray with me for one hour? And then he got up and he grabbed me by my shirt and he pulled me close to him. And he said, I want you to know that Satan has desired to have you. That he may sift you like wheat, but I've been praying for you. And when you have returned, strengthen your brothers and sisters. We walked out here back into the sanctuary and I said, you know, talking about building and growing. I said, it amazes me how many folks really don't want churches to grow. And he interrupted me. He says, I know that. He said, I know all about those people. He said, blessed are you when people revile you and persecute you and say all manner of evil against you and for my namesake. He said, rejoice. He said, this is the same thing they did to Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel. And then he turned to me. And he said, do you love me? I said well I just met you I I don't even really know you but yeah I love you he said feed my lambs he walked about a third of the way down the aisle and he turned around and said do you love me and I said yeah I love you I think you know that I love you and he said feed my sheep and he walked about two thirds of the way down the aisle and he turned around and he says do you love me I said yes I, I, I love you I was kind of upset that he asked me that third time, and he said, feed my sheep. And he walked all the way to the door in the foyer, and he put his hand on the door, and he turned around with his hand still on the door, and he looked at me, and he said, I'll go with you everywhere, and I'll never leave you. You be faithful. And he walked out the door. And I just felt impressed to stand here. And then it hit me. And I went running out the door. And I looked up Center Street and down Center Street and I couldn't find him. And I went around the city hall and he wasn't there. And I went to the back of the building, looked around the bus barn down by the old Varnado place. And he was just gone. I came back in this house and I sat down where he had sat just to digest everything that had happened. And you know, after he was gone, it seemed more like he was here than when he was here. And sometimes you can be in the presence of the Son of God and not even know it. Tell me, what would you do with this visitor who is Jesus? By now, I think you know that what I've just shared with you is a parable. No, there wasn't a stranger here on that Saturday. I didn't go all those places. Do you know what? He was here. In fact, he's here today. He ate breakfast with you this morning. He was beside your bed when you woke up, and he had been there all night. He has worshipped with you. He rode in the car with you. And if he and I had stopped in front of your house that day, what would he have said? I can tell you that that stranger did tell me that there were some people who are fairly regular attenders at our church that he doesn't even know. But he'd like to. I can tell you that he told me that there were lost people within, within a short walk or drive of this church who had never been invited to come to this church. And he said, there are people every Sunday in your church who come who haven't joined your church. And he said, I came and I bled and I died for the church and they don't even care enough about it to join it. Tell me, what will you do with this visitor named Jesus? Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for your presence in this place. For your presence before we ever got here. We pray, Lord, for people who are lost, who need to receive you as Savior. We pray for people who are saved, but need to get committed enough to tell their lost friends and family and neighbors about you. We pray, Lord, for those who are not members of a church, but need to be, and you've called them to be. We pray for this moment, for your spirit to move, because you are the risen one, and for that we are eternally thankful, in Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand.